Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome once again to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs and today's episode is episode 31. And we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 16 through 21 with the theme, The Lord Had Called Us for to Preach the Gospel. Now, obviously, with a theme like that, you can expect that this week's episode is going to be, yes, all about missionary work, which I'm super excited to be able to share some thoughts with you on because I love missionary work. I always have. And and so this week, we're going to take a look at a, several principles related to sharing the gospel especially as it relates to today and the things that we're doing to kind of spread the gospel in today's day and time. Now, one of the things that I'd like to do, one of the places I'd like to start to really begin to impress upon your minds the importance, the absolute importance and significance of missionary work, especially for you young people as you are approaching those years and that opportunity to go out as full-time missionaries, is I want to direct your thoughts to some of the words in which God uses to describe certain things. Obviously, he being God chooses his words very carefully, and everything that he says is designed and calculated to teach and to direct and to kind of help us to understand important things. Well, when you look at the very beginning of the creation, if you were to turn to the book of Genesis and read all about the creation, there's a certain word that God uses to describe just about everything that he creates. And that word is good. Whether it was dividing the light from the dark or creating the, the great waters or, or the dry land or the animals, the plants, everything that's on the earth, really even just the creation of the earth itself, he uses the word good to describe it. And I, God, saw these things that they were good over and over and over. Now, obviously, they are good. Now, I don't know if that's the word I would use to describe it if I had the opportunity and ability to create something like a planet and oceans and land and animals and light and dark and all those kinds of things. I'd use probably a lot more descriptive words like amazing or incredible. But for God, it's good. <laughs> it's, it's just good. And so that's kind of our baseline. It's good. Now, interestingly enough, it only changes after he finishes the creation by creating Eve, which, ladies, I think you can take as a compliment. And, man, we should probably recognize that. It also denotes just the completion of man and women. But after creating Eve, God looks over what he's created and says it's very good. Oh, boy, now he's adding a descriptive word to the adjective describing what he's created. It's not just good. Now it is very good. And I have to be honest, it's always kind of made me chuckle a little bit when I've read that particular descriptive word as far as what he has just done or created. Because, again, for me, it just absolutely blows my mind, boggles the imagination in what he has done and what he has created and he just describes it as good. That's good to God. <laughs> okay. A lot more than good to me, but to him, it's good and very good. Now, following along that train of thought, if you were to turn into the very beginning of the Doctrine and Covenants, 
which begins to describe the coming forth of the Book of Mormon and the missionary efforts to go about preaching the gospel. Doctrine and Covenants section 4 especially, where God points out to Joseph that the field is white, all ready to harvest. Then, lo, he that thrusts in his sickle with his might. Every missionary memorizes that particular section. As a missionary, as a future missionary, you will memorize that particular section. Well, the word that I want to draw your attention to is at the very beginning of it. What's the descriptive word in verse 1 of section 4 that describes the work that God is about to do to save his children? Now behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. I love that word. So let me get this straight. The creation of the world, the planet, the the sky, the sun, the moon, all the things associated with it, the animals, and even people, men, it was good to God. The the final creation of, of woman, the culminating effect of all that God created here on earth was very good. But the work that I'm about to do to save them is marvelous. <laughs> that is an exciting word to me. If it is marvelous to God, I don't even know that we have a corresponding word to use to describe it for us. And that's the work that we get to do. That's the work that you are going to do as a young person as you go out into the mission field. It is marvelous to God. Imagine what it must be and would be had we the ability to fully comprehend everything that is happening behind the scenes that we get to be a part of to save God's children. It's marvelous. It's not just good or very good. It's marvelous. Now, with that kind of perspective, let's jump in and begin by taking a look at the background of these chapters, which is as follows. Among the Lord's final words to his apostles was the commandment, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. While the apostles didn't quite make it to all nations, Acts 16-21 through 21 does show that Paul and his companions did make remarkable progress in establishing the church. They taught, baptized, and conferred the gift of the Holy Ghost. They performed miracles, even raising a man from the dead, and foretold the great apostasy. And the work they started continues with living apostles today, along with devoted disciples like you, who are helping fulfill the Savior's commission in ways Paul never could have imagined. Perhaps you're aware of people who do not know their Heavenly Father or His Gospel. Perhaps you have felt that your spirit was stirred in you to share with them what you know about him. If you follow Paul's example of humility and boldness in sharing the gospel, you may find someone whose heart the Lord has opened for you. Love that description. Now, with that being said, let's jump in. The first principle that I want to take a look at is actually in Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 14. And I think it's of great importance to note what is one of the most important aspects of missionary work as experienced here at the beginning of the missionary work with Paul and the other apostles and disciples. I want you to mark everything or every word or phrase that indicates they're being directed and look for how it is that they're being directed and what they're doing. And let's start just in verse 4, which reads, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them, 
the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Messiah, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel in, unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Nepolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city in the part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Verse 13, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the woman, which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Uh, there's a lot there that the apostles went through. A lot of direction and changes of courses in order to get to Lydia, that person whom the Lord, whose heart the Lord had opened. Did you notice what it was that helped them to find her? What it was that directed them in their missionary efforts to eventually be knocking on her door, the one that had been prepared for them? If you said the Spirit, you would be correct. It's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, as it mentioned, forbade them to go to one particular place, but directed them to go to another. Through the Holy Ghost, a vision was received, uh, directions were given, so that it helped them, little by little, find their way to the one that had been prepared for them to speak to. The most important aspect of missionary work is the Spirit. And I want to just begin with that thought. There are a lot of things in missionary work that we get caught up in thinking is important. Uh, a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Uh, and the ability to be a great orator, to speak powerfully and clearly and use big words. Maybe even a, a commanding physical presence. Well, on my mission, there were missionaries that had mastered all of those different kinds of things. And they were great missionaries. But I'm often reminded of one missionary in particular, uh, an individual by the name of Elder Nywert. Elder Nywert was handicapped, and he wore crutches on his arms to kind of steady himself. A very frail individual, but you would never know it from listening to his testimony. When this individual, this young man spoke, he spoke by the power of the Holy Ghost. And I was around some incredible missionaries, many of which were great orators, and they gave incredible lessons and testimonies. And I loved being around them and listening to them. And so they certainly had the Spirit, but there was something just pure and powerful and raw that came from Elder Nyward. It was a reminder to me and a great lesson to me while I was in the mission field of the importance of the Spirit in the work. That in fact, sometimes the other things may in fact get in the way of that and take away from it because the most important thing that any missionary can have 
is the Spirit. doesn't matter what they look like. doesn't matter the extent of their gospel knowledge. doesn't matter how well they are at speaking. What matters is how humble they are, how open they were to the Spirit and to receiving it so that they could speak and teach by it. Because when a person speaks by the power of the Holy Ghost, as the Scriptures record, it's the Holy Ghost that carries those words unto the hearts of the children of men. And those people that are open and receptive to the Spirit will feel it, regardless of the words being spoken or the presence, the physical presence of the person in front of them. And I love that about Elder Nywert. Another aspect of missionary work is, is in its direction. I remember knocking on several doors and wanting to return home, but my companion and I having an impression to go just a little bit further on one street. And I'm so glad we followed that impression because we found two incredible people, Guy and Doris Nichols, who we came to love and who loved us. Now, there's a great story behind all that that maybe I'll share at a different time and episode. But I know this, I would not have found them had it not been for the Holy Ghost directing us to go to that particular house at that particular time and for us being open to receive that direction. They became incredible friends and incredible converts to the church and served in powerful ways and in capacities in continuing to help further the missionary work with other missionaries after their conversion. It's one of the things that I love the most about Preach My Gospel. It is very spirit-centered. Back when I was a missionary, we had set discussions that we were to memorize. And so we go into houses and basically just honestly open our mouths and those discussions would kind of fall out. I think they were a little bit like training wills, <laughs> preparing us and future generations to be able to do a little bit better job teaching by the Spirit, teaching free of any kind of structure. We may have needed that structure for a time, but today's teaching is to be more Spirit-led and Spirit-driven than ever before. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of the transition that Luke Skywalker went through, if you're a Star Wars fan. If you remember the final scene of that Star Wars where he is making his run into the Death Star and everyone else has been trying and failing and he's now next up and he's going through and one of the, the, the last to be able to, to do it, he has his targeting system, right, that's on and it's showing him the distance and he's supposed to watch it and, to, and be told when to, to pull the trigger to shoot his torpedoes to hopefully start the chain reaction. But along the way, he hears a voice that just tells him, Luke, let go. Trust your feelings, to which he does. And the rest is history. You know how it turns out. In a lot of ways, that's what today's missionaries are being asked to do, to just trust the Lord, trust the Spirit. Let go of the things that maybe some of us in the past have held on to, uh, the targeting systems we've been given, the structure we've been provided, and learn to walk completely by the Spirit. And as a result of that, amazing things have happened and will happen and will continue to happen in big, big ways because it's the Spirit that is the most important part of this work. As President Benson said, I have said so many times to my brethren that the Spirit is the most important single element in this work. With the Spirit and magnifying your call, you can do miracles for the Lord in the mission field. Without the Spirit, you'll never succeed regardless of your talent and ability. And he spoke this to a group of mission presidents. And he continued by saying, You will receive excellent instruction in the next three days. 
handbooks will be distributed, responsibilities and procedures will be discussed, policies will be analyzed, basically targeting systems will be given. And all this will be most helpful to you. But the greatest help you will ever receive as a mission president, or I would add as a missionary, will not be from handbooks or manuals or targeting systems. Your greatest help will come from the Lord himself as you supplicate and plead with him in humble prayer. As you are driven to your knees again and again, asking him for divine help in administering your mission, you will feel the Spirit. You will get your answer from above. Your mission will prosper spiritually because of your dependence and your reliance on Him. President Benson also extended this counsel to all members of the church, including young children, when he said, In this work, it is the Spirit that counts, wherever we serve. I know I must rely on the Spirit. Let us obtain that Spirit and be faithful members of the church, devoted children and parents, effective home teachers, edifying instructors, inspired ward and stake leaders. And finally, the prophet Joseph Smith himself declared, No man can preach the gospel without the Holy Ghost. And it's that simple. Some questions for you to consider about this particular principle might be, first, why do you think the Spirit is so important and central to the success of missionaries and to missionary work? Uh, Another question to consider, what stories or experiences have you had, experienced, or maybe even just heard, that have reinforced this principle in your life about the importance of the Spirit? What are some things that you can do now to become more familiar with the Lord's voice and with His Spirit? Another question, what thoughts or feelings and experiences have guided and directed you to positive outcomes in your life? You don't have to wait to be a missionary to start learning to walk and be guided by the Spirit. Another question might be, what things are currently in your life that might be blocking the Spirit from being more present in your life, and what can you do to remove them? And finally, what is one thing that you will do, starting today, to better receive the Holy Ghost in your life? Now, for principle number two, I want to start with looking at just another experience that Paul has in the same area and vicinity, probably the same city. And in this particular city, after meeting the the woman named Lydia and teaching her about the gospel and and beginning that conversion process with her, as they continue to go out teaching, they come across, as it records in verse 16, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination. Meaning that she had the ability to kind of foretell certain events or truths about people or situations. Almost a little bit like a fortune teller. Might be. There was some kind of a gift that was hers or an ability that she had that allowed her to do that. And the thing that was interesting, a little bit troubling over time, was that this woman decided, well, that she knew who Paul and the other apostles were and that they were important. And so she went around following them, crying out, as it records, with a loud voice, saying that these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. Now, I don't know that that is the Lord's program to just go out in public and yell as loud to the top of your lungs about, I want you to maybe visualize this in terms of today, what that would look like. Imagine you see um, Elder Holland out walking around his neighborhood or wherever he might be and what he's doing. Maybe he's doing something in his capacity as an apostle. Maybe he's just going grocery shopping with his wife. 
but you decide to take it upon yourself to go around behind him everywhere that he goes and shout out, this man is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is showing us the way of salvation. Listen to him. And you're constantly doing this. What do you think Elder Holland might be quick to do in that situation? What do you think he might say to you in that situation? In a situation like that, you might actually be hindering the work more than helping it. Because what are others going to be thinking? This person's crazy. What are they doing? And if this person's crazy, then maybe Elder Holland is is crazy. right? It, it's, it's not a good thing that is happening here with this woman and with Paul, which we have evidence of because in the very next verse, it just simply records that this she did many days, verse 18, but Paul being grieved. <laughs> I'll bet he was a little frustrated by this. I love what he does. Uh, he turns and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. I'm not having any more of this. Like this isn't helping things. And he commands this spirit of divination, whatever exactly that is, to come out of her. And it does. The problem with that being is that this individual had provided a rather profitable income to certain employers of hers that uh, were utilizing her gift to make some money. And when they found out that that ability or that gift was no longer in her, they were extremely upset. And so what did they do? Well, they take Paul and those that were with him and basically cast them into prison. Verse 22, it records, And the multitude rose up together against them because of some of the things that these men were saying. And the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. But will you look at their attitudes and i think this is an important aspect in missionary work to have in verse 25 and at midnight paul and silas prayed and sang praises unto god and the prisoners heard them and there was suddenly a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed and the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. He was going to kill himself because he thought he had failed at this assignment that he had been given and would probably be put to death anyway. Verse 28, But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> He's ready. He's ready to be taught the gospel. Verse 31, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And he does. Amazing missionary story, an amazing missionary experience. But more than the end result, I want to just focus on how they got there, how they got the result. They needed to pass through some pretty difficult experiences, right? They were beaten. They were thrown into prison. They were bound in chains. Basically some pretty hard things. And, and I want to focus on that for just a moment because this is an important thing, especially for you young people to understand about missionary work. Does being a missionary mean that you will be exempt from experiencing hard things? No, it doesn't. The reason for that being... Because we live in a world of opposition where everything has its opposite. 
You know that, right? There's day, there's night, there's light, there's dark, there's good and evil, love and hate, joy and sorrow, and so on and so on. In order to be happy, we also need to understand sorrow. There's purpose in opposition. We couldn't be happy if we didn't also understand sorrow. In fact, sometimes the greater the sorrow also means the greater the joy. And this is crucial to understand when it comes, especially to missionary work and being a missionary, because the closer you get to your own mission, I promise you'll hear more and more the phrase, the best two years, as it relates to your mission and to missionary work. In fact, there was a movie made about missionary work with that exact name, the best two years. And you know what? It's very true. Your mission will be two of the very best years of your life. But if we follow along the principle of opposition, what does that mean your mission will also be? What does it also mean those two years will be? Well, if they're going to be two of the best, then that probably means they're also going to be two of the hardest. And you know what? They will be. And that's okay. And you need to understand that and even come to expect it. Because you will be pushed in ways that you've never been pushed before. You will have your heart broken in ways you've never had it broken before. There's nothing like working with somebody and coming to love them and get so excited for their baptism date only to not have them show up and never want to speak to you again because of something that somebody had said or a family member that had found out last minute that they had been taking lessons and, and talked to them and convinced them otherwise. Those are some of the most heartbreaking experiences that you'll ever have. You'll work harder than you probably have ever worked. But along those same lines, you will have some of the greatest experiences and experience some of the greatest joy that you will ever have as well. And we see this example in this experience with Paul. It must have been incredibly difficult to be beaten, thrown into prison, go through everything that they went through. But what happened as a result of it? They experienced the joy of being able to teach and convert someone that was in the prison and develop a relationship and bring them to God. The joy that they must have felt from that, I'm sure, was as much equal to, if not more so, than any of the suffering that they went through to get it. See, sometimes the suffering and hardship is needed. It's important to have an experience to shape you. But sometimes it's also needed to help shape others, to help others find Christ. Sometimes they will find that through the hardships that you go through. As an example, the sons of Mosiah are perfect examples of this. In Alma chapter 12, verse 8, listen to what the Lord tells them to do and, and how it relates to what Paul has experienced here. Verse 8, it records, And thus they departed into the wilderness, the beginning of their mission, with their numbers, which they had selected, to go up to the land of Nephi to preach the word of God unto the Lamanites. Verse 9, it came to pass that they journeyed many days in the wilderness, and they fasted much and prayed much that the Lord would grant unto them a portion of his Spirit to go with them and abide with them, that they might be instrument in the hands of God to bring, if it were possible, their brethren, the Lamanites, to the knowledge of the truth, to the knowledge of the baseness of the traditions of their fathers, which were not correct. They knew the significance and the importance of having the Spirit with them. Verse 10, And it came to pass that the Lord did visit them with His Spirit, and said unto them, Be comforted. And they were comforted. I'm sure they were filled with all kinds of fear and worry and doubt and anxiety, just like many of you will be as you go out into the mission field. 
Only you won't be going to the Lamanites, a group of people that historically wanted to kill you. <laughs> that's, that's the group that they were going to. But regardless of who you go to or where you go to, the Spirit will do for you exactly what it did for them. It can speak to you. The Lord can speak to you through that Spirit and comfort you. But then also remind you of this. Verse 11, And the Lord said unto them also, Go forth among the Lamanites thy brethren, and establish my word. Yet ye shall be patient in longsuffering and afflictions, that ye might show forth good examples unto them in me. And I will make an instrument of thee in my hands unto the salvation of many souls. An instrument in God's hands has to be shaped, formed, and even tuned before it can play all that it is meant to play. Which tuning at times might require a little pain, difficulty, and hardship, and long-suffering. But once it's ready, nothing can stop it from the work that it has been designed to do. That is the experience and the opportunity that awaits you in the mission field. Will it be hard? Yes. Will there be challenges and difficulty? Yes. But as you learn to be patient in whatever afflictions and long-suffering the Lord asks of you, He will make you into an instrument as well to experience some of the greatest joys that you'll ever have and the greatest experiences you'll ever have in helping people come unto Him. And we see all of that play out so well in those few chapters. I would encourage you to go back through them and again mark all the things that kind of lead once again Paul to being able to have this experience that he has with the jailer in the cell. Now a couple of key questions for you to consider. Number one, what does it look like to you to be patient in long-suffering and afflictions? I think that's good to visualize a little bit, to imagine it so that we can prepare for it. Number two, why do you think the Lord uses the word long-suffering in the description? What does that mean? What is he trying to, to teach us about just that those words himself? Number three, what do you think are some of the afflictions that missionaries might experience today? Obviously, they're going to be very different. Chances are you're not going to be beat, uh, beaten up and thrown in prison like Paul was or some of the things that happened to the sons of Mosiah. But what might be some of those afflictions and long-sufferings that are expected of missionaries today? And number four, how can you begin to learn patience in long-suffering now in your life? What afflictions are you currently dealing with that you can try to be more patient in? Number six, what does it mean to be an instrument in God's hands to you? And finally, who do you know that has been a good example of this? And how have they been good examples to you and what they've gone through? And how has that attitude and the way that they've conducted themselves and their patience and long-suffering inspired you to be better and follow God and to be patient in your own long-suffering. Now, principle number three. I want to draw your attention to just one verse for this one. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. As Paul goes to Athenia to teach the Athenians about the Lord, he points out a couple things. First of all, in verse 21, he says, For all the Athenians and strangers were there, spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They were constantly seeking new knowledge, which can be a good thing, but they were missing some of the most important knowledge that they could ever have. In verse 23, Paul records, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this description, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. 
Paul recognized right away that they didn't know God and he was going to correct that right then and there. This speaks to the heart of what missionary work is really all about. As the Lord himself said, this is life eternal that they or us or all people might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. In other words, the way that we get to eternal life is by coming to know who God is and who Jesus is, which is one of the reasons I encouraged you in studying all about his life to look for his character. Come to understand not just what he is teaching, but who he is as a person. Coming to know the unknown God is everything. And so the best thing that you can do to help others come to know God is to come to know him yourself. And that's all the missionary preparation that really you need. Most people in the world do not fully understand who God is. In fact, most still believe in something that's referred to as the Trinity, or which is basically only one God, but one who can manifest himself in different ways and at different times according to different needs. That he's some nebulous up in heaven, but again can reform himself to appear as Christ or to appear as God or to be the Holy Ghost. Prior to Joseph's time, Joseph Smith, it was unheard of to think of them as separate beings, which is the reason why the first vision is so important and one of the most important things that you will ever teach anyone in the mission field. The first truths that were revealed to the world weren't about the Lord's church, but about the Lord, who he was, what he looked like. Joseph learned right away that God and Jesus were separate beings, but that they looked like him and he like them, and that he was God's son, and that God knew his name. He learned that we are all his children, and because of that, we possess the ability to become like him. To kind of paraphrase all these things, Joseph once taught simply that if men don't comprehend God, they don't comprehend themselves. I want you to understand the significance of that statement. There is a symbiotic relationship between coming to understand God and coming to understand ourselves. The more we come to understand God, the more we learn and understand who we are. And on the flip side, the less we understand about God, the less we understand about ourselves. That is what you're going out there to teach people about. You're going out to teach them all about who they are by teaching them about who God is. Do you understand the value of the knowledge that you have? Just the fact that you understand that we are children of God is everything. I mean, how can you have faith in something, true faith that you don't really fully understand? Yet, the more you come to understand God, the deeper your faith will be able to be in Him. You can have faith in God's plan because you first have faith in Him as your Father and who He is. That is some of the most priceless knowledge anyone on earth can possess. And you have it. It's yours and mine. And we get to share that with others and to help them come to know who He is for themselves and how much He loves them so that they can better understand who they are and come to love themselves as well. 
So the reason I love missionary work so, so much is because you get to see people go through that process in coming to really, truly understand who God is and understand who they are in the process. Now, a couple of key questions to consider about this particular principle. Number one, what does it mean to you to really know God? What parts of his character mean the most to you? I think that's a great question to consider. Another question to consider is simply, how does it help you to know who he is and that you're his child? Another question, why do you feel that you can have faith in him and trust his plan for you personally? Another question might be, who do you know in your life that needs to learn this for themselves? And finally, how can you help them better learn who God is? What can you do? What can you say to lead them to that knowledge? To end with today, I'd like for you to mark one phrase that kind of summarizes a lot of this in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, which simply reads, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Probably the best counsel that we can receive as a missionary is that, just to not be afraid and to open up our mouths. Because as the Lord promises in the next verse, in verse 10, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. And I have much people in this city. I love that phrase. And I hope that some of these principles have been helpful to you. Remember the Lord promises us his help and his aid, his spirit to be with us, his angels to be round about us, to bear us up. Because this is his work. And he is good at it. In fact, he is so good at it that God himself refers to it as marvelous. That's what you get to look forward to, young people, as you get ready to go out into the mission field and become instruments in God's hand, taking part in this marvelous work. As always, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. As always, this has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life, and He invites us all to come follow me. So let's follow Him better this week, you guys, and become better as we follow Him. Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.